Welcome to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. Each week we talk about heart rate variability and how it can be used to improve your overall health and wellness. Please consider the information in this podcast for your informational use and not medical advice. Please see your medical provider to apply any of the strategies outlined in this episode. Heart Rate Variability Podcast is a production of Optimal LLC and Optimal HRV. Check us out at OptimalHRV.com. Please enjoy the show. Welcome, friends, to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. I am back here with a friend of the show uh, and somebody I consider a friend as well, a mentor in this field, Dr. Fred Schaefer. Uh, Dr. Schaefer, welcome back to the show. Uh, It's great to have you here. And it's great to be here. Uh, I always enjoy uh, our chats where we get to nerd out about HRV. And so friends, I, I oh, are we going to nerd out? <laughs> I've heard that you have questions about I, some of the measurements that we use. I, I do, and I'm excited to explore that. I mean, I can't think of a better person in the world to explore this with. So uh, I've been waiting for this podcast. It's been on my list for so long. Um, and... So there's heart rate variability, which I think this is episode, it's going to be in the 130s, I think, when we publish this. So we've talked a lot about this topic. And then there's a ne- another level down. And this is where we get into time domains, frequency domains. And to me, I, I, it can get very complex. Uh, I always like to throw out what is RMSSD? It is this wacky equation that I did not get to that level at school with math to have any idea what I'm looking at even. So even though I think we feel comfortable with the term heart rate variability in general, uh, the the next layer below it is so, it can feel so complex that even somebody who's like nerd out about this, written two books about it, like I get it and yet I got to keep learning about it to get some level of mastery where maybe at some point I can teach other what a frequency domain is actually. So I would love to start this exploration out if maybe just looking at time domains, frequency domains, what what the heck? What, what, what are we doing here, uh, Dr. Schaefer? Help, help us, help me even ask the right questions maybe uh, moving forward. You're asking some great questions, and it's so easy uh, for to be intimidated and overwhelmed by the alphabet soup of acronyms and metrics. Yeah. Uh, so let's start with the essentials. We begin uh, in HRV measurement by calculating the time between successive heartbeats. And we call this time, which we pray will be different across different heartbeats, the interbeat interval. And really all that comes down to is a column of numbers uh, in uh, typically in, in milliseconds or thousand of a second. Uh, and so it might be uh, 1,015, it might be the next one might be 878, and so forth. Uh, It is from this column of numbers that we calculate our time domain measurements 
in our frequency domain measurements. So we start with just a column of interbeat intervals. Mm -hmm. Now, timed frequency domain measures uh, are looking at different, answering different questions. Uh, time domain measurements like the RMSSD, which I'll explain in just a minute, uh, tell us how much uh, heart rate variability did we see in this series of interbeat intervals. So it's a single metric that uh, gives us an estimate of how much heart rate variability was there over, say, five minutes of recording. Mm -hmm. uh, and as you can guess, there are different metrics that may give us different estimates. Uh, now, the RMSSD uh, is widely used. Uh, it's used in a Fitbit. It's used in uh, the Apple Watch. Uh, Optimal HRV uses it. Uh, and what it is, uh, is, and this will sound like Greek or Klingon, <laughs> it's the root mean square of successive differences between normal heartbeats. Yeah. Uh, so what you're doing is you're calculating the difference between uh, successive interbeat intervals. Uh, you uh, are uh, ultimately squaring these so that you can add it together. Uh, and so each difference is squared, uh, and then you average uh, the results, and then you finally take the square root of the total. And no one has to do that. We have <laughs> to do that. Uh, so you don't have to get lost in the calculation. Yeah. Uh, but essentially, it's looking at the difference in the time intervals between successive beats. Uh, and uh, it is a pretty good beat-by-beat -beat, uh, estimate of heart rate variability. Uh, it is better than the standard deviation of the normal to normal uh, interval, uh, which I'll explain in a minute, uh, in part because it better estimates the contribution of the parasympathetic system, the vagal nerve, uh, to heart rate variability. And can I uh, ask so, a, a clarifying question there? Yeah. Well, because th this is where I think, you know, I, I love it, I nerd out about it, and yet if I had to put it into words, I, I think I would struggle. Like, mm -hmm. saying RMSSD measures parasympathetic, like, I, I, I get that heart rate variability is a, we're measuring vagal break if uh, I passed the test, yeah. or at least somewhat. So like, you know, when we look at RMSSD specifically, because I don't want to move on until you're ready to move on there. Right. Like, how specifically is that as a time domain measuring parasympathetic, I think you said activity, um, 
Yeah, it, it's considered vaguely mediated HRV. Uh, and HRV is driven uh, by uh, the parasympathetic system. Mm -hmm. Under most conditions, heart rate variability measurements and resting condition uh, has no significant sympathetic component. Right. And so what is driving there, in fact, so uh, while there, when we get into the frequency domain uh, measurements, there has been controversy over the sympathetic contribution. But here, now that we're just staying safely in safely. the time domain area, uh, it's all parasympathetic uh, and maybe blood pressure receptor uh, reflex uh, driven, the baroreceptor uh, reflex uh, driven. Uh, so this is the workhorse measure uh, because it is less affected by extreme values we call outliers mm -hmm. than some of the other measures and also is somewhat less vulnerable to artifacts. And how would that, how would that, because we got these equations. So is something in the equation, because uh -huh. as if I'm understanding the artifact, let me try to define this. You, you can grade me on. It, it's sort of likely I sneezed, I moved. Right. There's something in the, the individuals, something created a, a artificial artifact score that yes. really isn't telling us anything meaningful is going to throw off. So how, how does the equation, um, which I, I would encourage our audience to Google what it actually looks like, because yeah. it's really a huge, confusing equation. How does an equation itself account for, help to eliminate some of that artifact? By it, I'll give you an analogy that may make it clear. Uh, one, two ways that we can uh, report the typical value of uh, a set of scores are the mean and the median. Mm -hmm. uh, the mean is just the average. Yeah, my students know it as the G, as their GPA. Uh, <laughs> the mean is heavily affected. It is yanked up and down by extreme scores. Okay. The median is not. Right. Uh, in the same way, the RMSSD's calculation uh, minimizes the opportunity for extreme scores to uh, pull it uh, either up or down. It doesn't eliminate it, but the very method of calculation uh, minimizes the uh, influence of extreme scores. Fabulous. Awesome. I, th so I, I think I got it. I think I got it. <laughs> oh, I know you have it. I know you have it. Uh, and so this is the reason that it uh, that the RMSSD uh, is uh, widely used, at least in consumer-grade uh, trackers. Uh, now, uh, this is the point in which uh, 
I have to put in a, a caveat or, 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 or caution. Uh, consumer grade equipment uh, is only as good as the conditions in which the recordings are made. Mm -hmm. uh, movement artifact, uh, for example, uh, is going to be going to make uh, any kind of adjustment uh, darn near impossible. Mm -hmm. So that uh, what you have to do uh, when you are doing research uh, is you need to export your uh, individual IBIs. You then need to clean up the data when there are uh, false values, artifacts. Uh, and then you can do the math. Okay. Uh, with enough activity, uh, the calculation of RMSSD is not robust enough uh, to, uh, for example, uh, compensate for a hyperactive adult or child. Yeah. So someone who's highly kinetic is going to create so much movement artifact that you'll get false beats and missing beats. So RMSSD, could we say, helps with artifacts, but doesn't address the full range. It, our artifacts can still pull it and make it inaccurate. Yeah, it still can be pulled. It still okay. can be invalid under the worst case. Yeah. Uh, but it's a little uh, bit but, more robust, if that word yeah, is fitting. That's exactly it. Robust in statistics means that even if the assumptions of your statistical test are not perfectly satisfied you won't the calculation won't be garbage it will be it'll give you a meaningful result so the rmsd tends to be fairly tolerant of some uh, mild uh, deviations from uh, normal recording mm -hmm. excellent so RMSSD, so sort of is gold gold standard in the time domains. Would that be a, a fair thing to still? I saw that in the research as I was looking at different measures. Is that still pretty true? It depends on what you're using it for. Uh, it is one of the gold standards. Now, if instead we're uh, thinking of a risk assessment. Uh, for like heart attack deaths, mm -hmm. uh, the SDNN, which is calculated a different way, uh, is a better predictor uh, of cardiac risk when recorded over 24 hours. Mm. So not five minutes, right. but 24 hours. And, and this is from the task force uh, report in 1996, which uh, is really one of the most influential documents for the field. I, uh, I have I have it up yeah. on my other screen uh, as we okay. talk. <laughs> so here you use 24-hour monitoring, and uh, if you have SDN values. Uh, below 50 milliseconds or 50 thousandths of a second, a person would be 
uh, classified as unhealthy. Okay. If it falls between 50 and 100 milliseconds, they're considered compromised and above 100 milliseconds, they're healthy. Uh, now, the issue here is uh, if you uh, are in a unhealthy category, your risk over the next 31 months might very well be uh, five times three, 5.3 times greater uh, than someone uh, who is uh, in the healthy category. Fascinating. Uh, and so it is predictive of both heart attacks as well as uh, heart attack deaths, but only uh, if you've done 24-hour recording and then cleaned up the data. Gotcha. Uh, is there a lot of that? That's I don't hear much about 24-7 monitoring. Is that is that very specific to heart conditions that you might do that? Yes. I, I, yes. Okay. It's very it's very specialized. Uh, it is not widely used. Uh, as you can imagine, it is quite uh, intensive in the sense you have to get the, the client to wear it for 24 hours. Yeah. Uh, then you have then you have the data, and you yeah. have 24 hours of data that you need to uh, clean up. Yeah. And while there are algorithms that can do a a good initial job, uh, then you need an experienced uh, technician uh, to uh, do what the algorithm can't. Uh, and so, for example, uh, my friends at the Institute of Heart Math uh, will take data from a first beat bodyguard two, which is a relatively inexpensive uh, 24-hour monitoring in ECG, uh, and they you can uh, upload that information to their service, and then they will uh, use an algorithm and have staff uh, give you analysis of your data. Hmm. Uh, but this is not widely used. It would be used, some clinicians might use it uh, pre-post, uh, it might be used in research because there's variability we don't catch uh, across the 24-hour day, particularly when you're asleep, where you're actually going to have uh, greater heart rate variability. Yeah. Uh, and again, to, uh, to explain that SDNN is the standard deviation of the interbeat interval, which I've already explained, mm -hmm. uh, of normal sinus beats. And normal sinus beats is just code for, these are not abnormal beats. Uh, they uh, originate uh, where nature intended and not mm -hmm. some other part of the heart. Yeah. So sinoatrial node as opposed to the atrial ventricular or other areas of the heart. Okay. So if we look at SDNN, which is, I, I see pretty popular, uh, I would say yes. RMSSD, it would be number two. We'll, we'll get to the frequencies yeah. as I know they compete to yeah. be up there as well. 
are we if you if i gave fred my rmssd and my sdnn score would you be looking for different things what what would what would you be looking at i i give you those two scores from a let's say a 10 minute reading where i'm i'm being a good boy i'm sitting still i i'm giving you good data let's just pretend i'm artifact free I wonder how you would see those two data points. Um, do they mean anything to you in comparison to each other? Are you looking, what are you looking at with your expert eye at those two data points? Well, the first thing I need to confess is I'm not a clinician, uh, nor am I an optimal performance coach. Uh, so what that means is I don't know a lot. I'm an academic, a journalist. Uh, and so what I can, so what I can. And by the way, by the way, Dr. Schaefer, yeah. every, when I ask who should I get for this episode, everybody tells me you got to call Fred. So I just want, I just want to throw that out there is your reputation um, is incredibly not, maybe nobody else wants to do it, but I, I got to say, uh, uh, everybody respects really the hang people I respect respect yeah. you in this yeah. arena. So, <laughs> my suspicion is the the brightest people are way too smart than to <laughs> do this. And so, uh, uh Gewertz, Richard Gewertz, uh, and Paul Lair gotta talk to uh, Fred, just are not available. Ida, uh, you got to, Fred, Fred's smart. the guy here. Everybody says, I got to yeah. talk to you, my friend. <laughs> so let's talk about it. Uh, what you do is, you're very correct in saying, you need to tell me the conditions in which uh, the recordings were obtained. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, were you sitting? Right. Uh, were you standing? Had you just done uh, aerobic exercise? You need to explain that. You need to tell me uh, whether you had feedback or not uh, during this time. Uh, a good baseline would not. Uh, uh, did you have special instructions for breathing? Again, a good baseline would just allow you to breathe normally. Yeah. So, and I need to know, you know, what, how long, and you told me 10 minutes. in. Mm -hmm. uh, your audience might wonder, well, why do we care whether it's five or 10? And the answer is that longer recording periods tend to give us larger values. And so you need to compare apples with apples. Uh, now, having uh, said all that, uh, the way I, as an academic, would look at it is I'd compare it to age uh, and fitness appropriate norms. Mm. And these are published. Yeah. And uh, the norms uh, clearly show the, uh, the publications in which the journal articles in which they've been published clearly state the conditions in which these norms were obtained and the characteristics of the participants. So for example, while I would compare you 
to uh, aerobically fit norms, uh, I would not compare you to couch potato norms. Thank okay? you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in the same way, we we have norms for a number of the metrics for age, uh, at least by decade, uh, for uh, biological sex at birth. Uh, so these these are helpful, and so you uh, you ask uh, how is this is he recording. Are the values close to these norms or significantly below or, or above? Yeah. Uh, and you might, for example, decide that perhaps two standard deviations above or below mm -hmm. uh, are uh, significant. Yeah. Uh, does that give you and, a sense? And if so I could ask you, when we talk about standard deviations, what, what I have seen at least is those are pretty... Uh, let me let me say what I understand and see if uh, I'm tracking right with your knowledge mm -hmm. is that uh, standard deviations are pretty wide on on these. Uh, they're they're pretty big, uh, meaning that you're, you know, that they're, they're, mm -hmm. that the, that the average person can have a wide span and still be in the one standard deviation due to genetic differences between individuals. Am I am I I mean, am I in the ballpark with that statement? There are many reasons for uh, larger uh, standard deviations. Uh, uh, referencing the uh, task force report, uh, just as an example, uh, the uh, mean RMSSD was 27 milliseconds. Mm -hmm. It's rather fortunate that both SDNN and RMSSD are expressed in milliseconds or thousandths of a second. Uh, but 27 milliseconds was the average for 144 healthy subjects, but the standard deviation was 12 milliseconds. Yeah. So it's a large chunk Huge. of the yeah. uh, 27. Uh, so, uh, the the takeaway is yes, standard deviations can be quite large. Yeah, uh, and so you know you might use uh, two standard deviations above or below uh, as a way of comparing. Mm -hmm. uh, but again, with with so many published norms, uh, you need to compare apples with apples. Yeah. Apples would be, uh, first of all, the recording time period. Uh, apples would be uh, the type of people, uh, the participants we are comparing you to. Uh, the task force values were for 24 hours, mm -hmm. uh, just like the 24-hour uh, recordings done by Umatami uh, for 260 healthy participants who uh, ranged from 10 to 99 years uh, of age. Uh, 
which it unfortunately doesn't give you all. Uh, I mean, even though the overall in is fairly big, when you start to break yeah. those down by age group, it's very you small. start to yeah. get smaller and smaller numbers. Oh, yes. Yeah. So even that is like, I mean, I appreciate the work because it gives us a reference point. It just, yeah, it does. It, yeah. It just says, I mean, you start to look at the ends behind these norms and they're relatively small. Um, uh-huh. In my, in my, at least in my statistical mind, which I, I have to yes. admit hasn't been active probably since grad school, all that uh, highly. So your, your statistical mind is still firing on all c- cylinders. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, because yes, uh, that, that, uh, speaks to how representative are these values. Yeah. Uh, smaller sample sizes mean that we really may not have a good idea of representativeness. Uh, but I will mention one other uh, metric that I think that clinicians and uh, optimal performance coaches uh, may find useful in education. And that's heart rate max minus heart rate min. Yeah. Uh, and what this is, is just the average difference between the highest and lowest heart rate during each breathing cycle. And uh, you start out with the idea that when you inhale, heart rate speeds. Yeah. And then when you exhale, because the parasympathetic brake is applied, heart rate slows. Yes. And so you should, in a physically active individual, uh, see a difference uh, that might be, uh, oh, for my students, uh, might be, uh, five, uh, 10 uh, beats per minute. Uh, and if someone were had a compromised uh, cardiovascular system, it might be zero beats per minute, or it might just be one or two. Yeah. And so this is one way of explaining variability because people have a hard time conceptualizing variability. Yeah. But when you use uh, an example of fastest versus slowest, calculate the difference. That is something they can wrap their heads around. Okay. Let, let me, let me, let mm-hmm. me, be, I don't even know. I, I, I want to make sure I, I get this. Uh, so, so when we look at the max and the min, let, let's say, and if, if I'm even off with this, let's say we're doing a 10 minute reading. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The 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 score that I get as max min gives me a score if I'm correct. Right. It doesn't say your right. min was and your max yeah. was. What the what the heck am I looking at with that that score? I think I understand what it's telling me, but what what's that number? The average heart rate difference between your fastest and slowest heart rate. So it calculates the first difference from the fastest and slowest, and that'll give us a value uh, in beats per minute. 
and then it will calculate the next and add that to the moving average. So at the end of 10 minutes, you will have a, an, an overall average difference in heart rate that will heart rate variability that will be beats per minute. Uh, so Yevgeny uh, Vashilo, uh, a remarkable uh, researcher uh, who collaborated with Paul Lehrer and colleagues at uh, Rutgers. Uh, Yevgeny, when he worked with uh, Soviet-era cosmonauts, trained them uh, to increase uh, heart rate max minus heart rate min to values like 50 beats per minute. So the difference between fastest and slowest, 50 beats per minute. Uh, my own former student, uh, Alex Cangelosi, uh, was uh, just uh, off the plane uh, in uh, Venice uh, at a Biofeedback Foundation of Europe meeting. And we measured him uh, with jet lag and uh, during our workshop. And Alex clocked in at 40 beats per minute average difference. Wow. Yes. So I, I'm struggling here a little with, with the, the, the backspin. So the 40 beats per minute is good, right? That with that. Great. Yeah. It's I was great. like, boy, if you're jet, I mean, that must, that, that, that's yes. like, wow. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, realize it was close to cosmonaut level. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was suffering from jet lag. Uh, and, and, and so, so okay. So I, again, I want I want to break this down into to Matt, so Matt's brain can chew on it a little bit here. So so I'm looking at so the inhale. Obviously, I'm I'm releasing the brake. You got yeah. the speed up there. The exhale, the the vagal brake applies. I'm slowing down. So Max Ben yes. is taking the averages of the the speed up versus the averages of the slow down help me help let's, me help me get right here. The, the difference between the average of the difference between the fastest heart rate versus the slowest heart rate during each breathing cycle okay during each breathing cycle so inhale exhale so the inhale the exhale breathing cycle yeah. right okay yes yeah so so i mean i i think i could maybe guess at this but but is that it seems like that might be telling you something complementary but different than rmssd yeah it's complementary it's major value it's not used as uh, a uh, clinical indicator. It's not used diagnostically. Uh, it's not used uh, in most research. But as a clinician or as an optimal performance trainer, uh, it's very easy to say, 
you know, you started in training here and your difference started out at eight beats per minute. And now we've worked together for say uh, eight sessions and now it's 20. Mm -hmm. uh, that is something that clients can wrap their head or heads around awesome. uh, because we're RMSSD and SDNN are extremely abstract. They're algebraic. Yeah. This is really simple. Uh, this yeah. is something people can conceptualize. So let me let me ask a question this way. All right, wait a minute. Before I do, are there any more? I think we're having a time domain episode here, and I'll have to beg you to we come are, back for a frequency domain. domain. If you're okay with that, because I've got questions on the frequencies. So yeah. is it are there any other time domains that, that you feel we need to cover that, that are important for folks? I think we've hit the big ones, but I want to make sure. So. I don't think so, and I'll tell you why. Uh, these are the ones that get that are most widely used uh, in the research that I read. Uh, now, when our Center for Applied Psychophysiology at Truman State University uh, does research, we uh, calculate uh, probably over 25, 30 different uh, variables. Uh, yeah. Some time domain, some frequencies, some uh, nonlinear, uh, but really the ones that are most important that our audience really wants to hear about are values like RMSSD and SSDNN. Yeah. SDNN. So, so here's the question. I want to give you plenty of space. It may be a one word answer that, or two, you're okay. that. but, but it may yeah. be something that I'm really cautiously excited about because I don't know if it's meaningful or not, but we're getting to the point as I play around with chat GBT four. And now if our, if you're not familiar with audience members, you can upload spreadsheets and it will analyze it for you. And I'm not saying it's mm -hmm. perfect, but we're getting to a point, I believe where if you, even if I asked, you know, you as one of the world's experts on this, or at least what all the world experts tell me you're the world expert, whether you like that or not. I'll let you take I that up. Like it is like, we could look at this data in a very deep way. And let's say we have the Fred AI that is omniscient around time domain variables. And I take, I'll, I'll take that 10 minute perfect reading, uh, and I get all the information for, I get an, a, a perfect SDNN score, RMSSD score, MaxMin score. So the data is great. And I've mm -hmm. got these scores. If, if you could create the Fred AI that, that is all omniscient and can give me feedback within 30 seconds, is those scores, and let's say, let, I'll, I'll give Fred AI omniscient you also know the past year of my scores as well. So you have good baselines on all these metrics. Uh, I've been a good boy every morning. I take my 10-minute right. reading. I'm still. And right. now you've got these three data sets. You've got all that history. Mm -hmm. And what would you want to know? What could we know if we're omniscient 
in the way that really chat GB4 is starting to look around data analysis, what what would you like to know? What, what would you like to know with those three metrics? What what could they tell us maybe about parasympathetic versus I, I doubt sympathetic, but maybe more eventual right. break? What 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 could we know comparing all that data? Um, assuming we could do it halfway quickly and accurately. I think that there's some practical questions uh, that we can even uh, answer uh, with the data from uh, optimal HRV app. Uh, and let me talk, frame it this way. Uh, what is most important, I think, is not just the absolute value, but the trend. Yes. Where you, so you have to know the history, and that's yeah. part of what uh, Chat 4 uh, and other uh, uh, systems will do, is, is look at uh, a large uh, time series of, of values uh, you want to see if there are any uh, important uh, departures uh, from your typical uh, values. And let me tell you why that can be important. Uh, without making uh, prognostic claims for any uh, HRV measurements, mm -hmm. it is possible that a sharp decline uh, in RMSSD, again, assuming we have valid measurements, yeah. may reflect uh, COVID, uh, mm -hmm. may reflect uh, uh, influenza. Uh, uh, for and for a uh, an athlete who has been doing intensive training, it might reflect exhaustion yeah. uh, in the need for more recovery time. So uh, in some ways, I'll give you yet another analogy. This one, it won't be a mathy one. Uh, there is, of course, controversy over the uh, PSA test for men for prostate cancer mm -hmm. risk. Yeah. Uh, and we know that a single PSA measurement needs to be interpreted within the context of a person's history. And so it gains greater predictive power when we can, if we were to see a significant change uh, or departure from uh, the previous trends. Yeah. Uh, the same thing's true for HRV. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when we're looking at time domain measures, you just want to see if they're, and typically they'll graphically be obvious. Uh, you don't have to do the stats. They'll graphically yeah. be obvious yeah. that there is a uh, hiccup here. Uh, and I think that's the point at which we uh, explore, we ask the uh, client to explore uh, is it a health issue? Is it a uh, is it a psychological 
uh, issue is an overtraining issue. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't tell you that it's any of these things, but it invites exploration. Yeah. And if I, let's say we, we had that history and I take, I take my morning reading for today and I get an mm -hmm. SDNN score, an RMSSD score, a max min score, would you, or would you want Fred AI uh, to compare? Am I getting, is my, because when I look at my scores, they trend mostly with each other. There's a real nice thing when I look at the dashboard. They're 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 different numbers because they're different measures, but but they 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 ebb and flow yeah. pretty consistently yeah. with each other. But but is my let's say my if are you looking for something specific? If you compare RMSSD to MaxMin, for example, I don't. I really okay. don't. Uh, I don't. And again, an important nuance in all this is the time of day in which you take the measurements matters. Yes. So I would not compare morning to evening measurements. Absolutely. Uh, that's again, uh, an apple and some, some other fruit or vegetable comparison. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. no, I, I don't, there's, I think you have to know what makes sense for you as you see your, your values uh, in, know what your patterns are yeah uh, and then when you see departure from the patterns either in a good or bad way then that's the opportunity for you to start to brainstorm about what may be driving this i love that and so if you looked at like now let's look historically um mm -hmm. like is there anything like that the history of max men versus the history of RMSSD, is there any difference there? I mean, obviously we want them both to go up. So, so we wanna see that yeah. trend. If they go down, we can ask questions against it. But is there anything like, let's say my, my max min is going good, my RMSSD probably is also mm -hmm. doing good as well. Yeah. Is there anything you're looking for historically? No. So, so again, we, we wanna basically, yeah. even though there's a ton of complexity, the higher, the better. <laughs> yeah, as long as it's driven by healthy uh, cardiovascular activity, awesome. it is possible, particularly in the uh, people, older adults or people with conduction disorders, it is possible to have uh, abnormal uh, firing uh, cardiac arrhythmias to generate uh, heart rate variability that is actually a bad sign. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, so if it is being generated uh, by a healthy conduction system, then uh, higher heart rate variability uh, is better. Yeah. Uh, ideally within limits. Now, let me suggest some of the uh, other possible contributors to lower time domain measurements uh poor sleep uh yeah. and so uh, uh, it's, and i'm not talking just about hours but also uh oh. architecture yeah uh, uh particularly loss of comp you know if you have sleep that's broken up yeah uh you might have less 
uh, stage three sleep, slow wave sleep or REM sleep. Uh, another factor could be anxiety or depression. Mm -hmm. uh, given that these can be uh, can fluctuate quite a bit, uh, depression uh, will lower will can be associated with lower HRV, uh, as can anxiety. Yeah. Uh, uh, as we look at an older population, pain. Yeah. Uh, increased pain can lower uh, HRV. Uh, and there are probably several ways that it can do it. Uh, one of those ways can be the increasing uh, your breathing rate. Yeah. A person experiencing acute pain uh, maybe breathing 25, uh, 30 breaths per minute. It's also one of the indicators that pet owners should look at when, say, a canine uh, is breathing more rapidly than God intended. Mm -hmm. uh, that could be an indicator of pain. Fascinating. So, so let me. I got one more, maybe quick question for you. But, but I, sure. when I when I was first looking and googling about heart rate variability, mm -hmm. this, I and I, I believe we have the same article up in front of us. This yes, uh, March nineteen ninety six article came up, and yes. I just remember is there's got to be something newer there, there there's like why am I, why am i in the 90s like i i guess maybe that's my academic brain is you don't want to go too much past 10 years back when you're looking but it just seems like this article is a pb journal i, I see it yeah. there I, I see it referenced so much are we have we just kind of hit that we found the time domains and we don't need any more like like it, it's kind of fascinating to me that, that, okay. that we're still going back to this article that says a lot of great things about the work done behind this article. Uh, but yeah. but you would assume, what are we, 30 years? Like 20 Just, years well, later, 30 yeah. years later, like that there would be a new Bible for us to be looking at. But there's this beautiful article. Have we just not, is there no, do we not need to progress? Is the, what what's your... Thoughts, just so we can tell grad students you found it, you don't have to keep searching like Matt did, thinking he's missing something. I don't think you ever want to say that you found it. <laughs> uh, I think the task force report uh, was a watershed event. Uh, it brought together some of the best and brightest of the field, including, again, uh, my colleague and collaborator on uh, one of my earliest uh, review articles, uh, and this was Roland McCready, who's the chief scientist for the Institute of Hard Math. Uh, I would say that there are many questions that have not been definitively answered. Yeah. Uh, I would love to see a successor to uh, the task force report. Uh, uh, instead, we're getting uh, separate review articles and uh, research reports, including uh, reports on norms. Yeah. Uh, but not that integrative uh, consensus document. Uh, and I don't know the politics and I don't know the events and the uh, interpersonal dynamics that led that made that report possible. Yeah. Uh, 
And I don't know if th that magic can be bottled and replicated uh, for the next one. Uh, but I know that there are many questions uh, left to uh, answer. And I'll give you yet another uh, analogy. And this is something that uh, most everyone listening will have heard about. And this is the apocryphal story of blind sages in uh, India, uh, touching different, feeling different parts of an elephant and only being able to report on what they uh, yeah. see. I, I think of the different uh, HRV metrics uh, very much the same way. They're all measuring different parts of the elephant, which in this context is HRV. Uh, no single one represents the elephant uh, faithfully in its entirety. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to see uh, research doing a deep dive as to how are these different metrics different at a physiological level? Right. Like, yes. Like, yes. We know they should move together in the same direction, but what what pieces of the puzzle does, does one supply as opposed to another? Yeah. Uh, we're better able to answer that question uh, with the time to, with the frequency domain measures than we can with the time domain. Okay. Well, within that analogy, kind of to wrap up here, because I can't wait to get back with you for frequency domains, but we have, we have taken 60 minutes about on, on time domains, which doesn't really surprise me because uh, it's such a fascinating topic. But, but in that analogy, uh, could we say like the time domains, maybe they're measuring a different part of the foot, so to speak, of the elephant, that there's, there's commonalities enough within these that they're they're, they're kind of showing us somewhat similar things where if we compare RMSSD to SDNN, we're not getting a whole lot of additional data. You know, Agreed. you want it to be higher yeah. than yesterday uh, and see that yeah. trend, but yeah. we're not quite there yet with the like, yeah. say, okay, that, that's great. Now I know when we get in the frequency domains, Adding those will will expand this to the the wider elephant, which um, I, I yeah. cannot wait to to tackle with you uh, on, at a future date. Yeah, that as a teaser for your listeners, uh, the frequency domain will tell us, give us a sense of the sources of heart rate variability, of what's driving the variability that we measure with the time domain. Awesome. I can't wait. So, yeah. so our audience knows you at this point, friend of the show. So I want to like, I want to exit here uh, with, uh, and I'm this is coming out of the blue, but I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm setting you up here for anything but a softball right on the plate. <laughs> tell people, because I've been doing it, why should our listeners, Dr. Schaefer, think about joining AAPB? I think, you know, as we're, I think this will probably come out in December. So new year, new thinking. Um, I'm a huge advocate for AAPB. I, I'm cautious to remind people this is this podcast, even though it might seem like it's sponsored by it, is not 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 associated mm -hmm. with it directly, but 
Um, I know you could speak to that. Why, why would our listener who's interested in this, uh, why, what would be some of the benefits they get from this organization I know you're so invested in and central to? Yes, I'm finishing my uh, second year as president, and I've been I've been a member of AAPB, I think, since 1977. That is amazing. I've gone yeah. to, I think, virtually all of the meetings since uh, that time. Uh, I think the number one reason is a sense of community. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you, you, know, you have personal experience uh, attending AAPB, uh, even if this is your first meeting and our APB will have its annual meeting in Denver, pretty yep. close to where you live. Just down the street. Uh, in May and uh, yep. May of this coming year. Uh, and let's suppose you're a first timer. You're going to be welcomed. Yes. People will be available People will help you network. Uh, if you're students, if you are practitioners, you will find uh, colleagues who will welcome you and will be, uh, this is the family. I've often thought of APP as the family I choose. Yeah, I uh, love that. And uh, we, so I think one of the strongest reasons that many of us go to AAPB is to see our, our dear friends Yeah, uh, at least once a year. Uh, and then there's so many uh, amazing presentations. Uh, so you're going to learn a great deal uh, at the level and over the topics that you're probably very interested in. Uh, there will be uh, an HR, there will be HRV content, there will be uh, neurofeedback content, uh, the major modalities. And of course, going to the meeting, you will get to meet our awesome vendors, of uh, which Optimal is one. Uh, although your, you know, your mission is uh, very different from, many of our vendors do uh, su- generously support the field uh, in, they do promote education, but our vendors will tell you what's available. Uh, they'll help you get greater use out of the equipment you already have purchased. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so getting into the vendor space and uh, learning from them and working with them is extremely valuable. Uh, so those are, and then you held up uh, of course, the Journal of Applied Psychophysiology and Biofeedback, yes. which is edited by my dear colleague, uh, Dr. Paul Lair, uh, Professor Emeritus at, uh, at Rutgers. Uh, it is a w- wonderful uh, summary of recent uh, studies in the field. Yes. Uh, and uh, so it's worth, and then, then of course, APB uh, four times a year publishes uh, Biofeedback Magazine. Uh, and Biofeedback Magazine is awesome. It, yeah. Uh, for the longest time, uh, for 
I don't have the accurate number of years, but for certainly over 13, it could have been in the 20s, uh, my colleague uh, Don Moss was the editor. Uh, Don is no longer paid as editor, but still comes back to help us with special issues. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so you have this extremely accessible publication. Mm -hmm. APB just published evidence-based practice yeah. in biofeedback and neurofeedback. Uh, your collaborator and dear friend, Dr. Ina Hazan, uh, was the lead editor for yeah. this uh, effort. Uh, and this was over three and a half, four years in the making. It is over 500 pages, the largest edition that we've ever done. Uh, and I'm very proud uh, of the team effort here. So these are things that APB continues to do. Yeah. Uh, we have an amazing executive director. Uh, Leslie Shivers uh, focuses on customer service. Uh, she takes the time to uh, help provide the assistance that our, uh, our, our members or even the public uh, ask for. Yeah. Uh, we aren't limited to a five minute rule of if we can't uh, if we can't uh, deal with your uh, inquiry in five minutes, uh, you need to, we need to uh, put the phone down. Uh, if it takes 20 minutes, if it takes 30 minutes, she will give that time. Uh, and this is, this is a culture of service that uh, I'm very proud of. I love it. And, and I just got to say from, from a newbie to, to the organization, I hate journal articles. I this one is a must. Mm -hmm. uh, the APB journal is great. The the mag the special editions for the biofeedback uh, as well. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I I I can't ever remember reading a journal cover to cover, and it's pretty much there's a, occasionally I'm more in the biofeedback than neurofeedback side, but even those right. give me an idea. I feel like they keep me up on the field, and I'll just put a plug in here is that one of the things I just appreciate about the AAPB conference, it's still small family oriented, where if you wanna pick uh, Dr. Fred Schaefer's brain about time domains, he'll sit down with you. Gewurz will sit down and yeah. and and there's, there's a, there's almost an informal acceptance mentorship that's just available and, I know not all vendors do this, but you can talk to me at the booth at break, but I'm heading to the workshops because, you know, yes. I, get, I get it here and I'm so fortunate uh, to interview and bring, uh, you know, the, the luminaries of the field into this podcast. But, you know, you get to hear them speak, you get about their research and you get students work, which is, I, I think, just a great dynamic in pushing the field forward and that next generation uh that that baton is handed over to give them the stage as well and then somebody like last year Stephen Port just shows up and you can tell he's mm -hmm. enjoying it as much as I am so uh I'll definitely yeah. throw that out there and uh 
with that, uh, Dr. Schaefer, thank you so much for your time here. Uh, we were going to cover frequency domains, but I'm, I'll be honest, I'm a little excited that we we get a whole nother section for that because I got questions there too. Uh, so I'm looking forward uh, to hopefully exploring that in the near future with you as well. But thank you so much for your time and your expertise uh, to tackle this really difficult uh, topic. I really appreciate you and your work. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, thank you, everybody. As always, you can find show notes at uh, Heart Rate Variability Podcast at OptimalHRV.com. And uh, we'll be back in your feed next week. Thank you all so much.